Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. All right, it is a little warm in here again. I apologize for that. We're going to talk about the Revelation. So if you guys want to turn there, I'm going to, we're in chapter 5. And I'm going to cover verses 1 through 7 today, but I'm going to get in that just a second. Last week, Pastor Rick talked to you guys about the vision in chapter 4, the scene of heaven. And I, I appreciate him covering that for me. I had to be out of town um, kind of unexpectedly, but it was a blessing to be able to do it. Uh, but, but anyway, I wasn't here, and I, I asked him kind of without a whole lot of time cover me and he was graciously able to do that but i want to i want to i want to share a piece of chapter four with you moving into chapter five because chapter four in the first half of chapter five i'm going to call the preamble to an incredible worship experience it's the introduction to what's going to be an incredible worship experience in heaven and it, and john is trying to explain what he sees but I want you to pay attention to five, six, seven instances within the text that Pastor Rick covered last week. He said, And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, like a lion, like a calf, like that of a man, like a flying eagle. You know what that means? That means John seeing it couldn't explain it that it was so magnificent so beautiful so wonderful so so surreal that john had no words for it that the god was so brilliant he had to be like something he couldn't be defined as something that the throne was so brilliant it had to be defined as something or it had to be like something not defined as something the crystal seers like a crystal so what does that even mean i don't know this is just what i see and this is what i would i would liken it to and so i i ask that you that you spend time in the next couple of weeks because i'm going to be gone next wednesday and then the wednesday after that we're talking about the worship experience in heaven in verses 7 or 8 through 14 and i want you to spend some time in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and meditate on what that must be like how magnificent god's glory is how beautiful the surroundings are the the rainbow there was a complete circle like emerald green but not emerald green apparently i, I try to get my head around and i ask you to what heaven must be like and i'm set on fire for it i'm impassioned by my pursuit of it and I want you to be impassioned by your pursuit of it, too. So like a thing. And so Pastor Rick covered that chapter last week. This week we're going to cover, like I said, 5, 1 through 7. And I want to talk about the only one worthy. Throughout history, throughout the, the history of the world, starting with Satan, with his rebellion, the enemy has tried to control the earth, has tried to rule the earth. He couldn't do it. He failed miserably kicked out of heaven, 
made the God small g of this world, according to the letter to the Corinthians. But he inspired so many others to try to do the same thing. He, he inspired Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Alexander the Great, Lenin, um, Stalin, Tilla the Hun, Hitler. I'm going to conquer the world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule this world. You know what all of those people have in common? None of them rule the world. All of them failed. Jesus didn't fail. Jesus is the only one worthy to reign and rule because of who he is. It doesn't matter what went before. It only matters that Jesus has the right, the power, and the authority to rule the earth. But I think we should take a personal account of ourselves there too. Because Attila the Hun couldn't do it. Alexander the Great couldn't do it. And in your microcosm space that you think you control, know that you serve a sovereign God and you can't do it either. You have to release your own space. I hear people say, I'm the captain of my own destiny. You're not even, ca you, you can't captain something you don't own. Release whatever it is you have to God and let him move you in it. Because only Jesus is worthy. And I think that's awesome. And so in verse or chapters 4 and the first half of 5, we're told about the magnificent scene in heaven, the throne and the worship of the Creator. And then in the beginning of chapter 5, we read this. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back. That's the right hand of him. That's God, according to verse 11, where they're declaring, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. That's a whole other sermon, just probably three sermons in that. But it was his hand. He sat on a throne. A book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. I need you to get with me on this, man. <laughs> then, he began to, then I began to weep greatly. Because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. Everybody say overcome. So as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out unto all the earth. And he came, and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Amen. I'm going to stop there because right now, literally, it's just this little bitty piece of time. But there's so much goodness in this. I'm going to ask the question today. I told you the title of this teaching is, the worthy one, the question is, is anyone worthy? 
This is what John is having to ask the question. John's asking the question, is anyone worthy? The angel with a loud voice said, is there anyone worthy to open this book, this scroll? It would have been a scroll. It would have been a scroll similar to, at that time, a, a deed or a contract. It took three witnesses with three individual seals to make, to make a contract viable because three witnesses were needed. But God in His perfection provides seven. There are seven seals on this scroll. There would have been inside and outside a complete explanation of what was going to happen on the inside and an abbreviated explanation on the outside. Much like you'd see on the spine of a book. You read a book, you'll see the title and the subtitle on the outside of it, so you kind of get an idea of what it's about. But you have to actually open the book to read the details of what it's about. And so he's standing there, or he's sitting there in his right hand with a book written inside and on the back, sealed up perfectly with seven seals. What was this deed? What was this contract? It's the deed to the earth, which will be given to Christ. It doesn't describe what he will inherit. It will describe how he will regain his rightful ownership of it. That's, that's awesome. God turned and made the enemy the God of this world. Because we gave up the authority that he gave us. Because we fell into sin. And inside of this contract is how God will redeem, complete the redemptive plan through judgment, through love, through mercy, that which is rightfully his in the first place. I want to tell you, God hasn't forgotten you. That your you were in mind, we are in mind as this contract was written. We were in mind as these seals are broken. We are in mind as eternity is processed. God so loved the world that he gave for you. I told you I all the stuff, what I want you to see is Jesus. This is the revelation. If you'll go back to the very first verse of the very first chapter of the book of Revelation, it starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do I see Jesus? I see Jesus as the only one capable to hold the scroll that contains the redemptive plan of God and to open it. Ezekiel described this scroll in 2, 9 through 10. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back, and on it were lamentations, mournings, and woes. This is the kind of contract, the thing that God would have been holding. There was a, there was a contract already prepared, ready for Jesus to take a hold of, and then this happens. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open, open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth 
was able to open the book or to look into it. His search was universal. Did you hear where he looked? He looked everywhere. Says this strong angel. Doesn't give any indication of which angel it was. Just a mighty angel, a strong angel. I figure the weakest of angels has to be pretty strong, but apparently this one was stronger than most because this is how he's identified. A strong angel spoke loudly, loudly enough for the entire universe to ask, who is worthy of the opening to open this scroll, to open this book? And the world and the universe was silent. Imagine redemption being within your grasp. Imagine John's heartbreak, knowing that the redemptive plan was right there and nobody could break those seals. He had, it says he wept. Imagine, if you would, I, I think all of us would weep if we're in that position and we think back, nobody is capable of opening those seals. Nobody from the Old Testament, nobody from eternity past, nobody from the New Testament and the church age, no Moses, no Paul, no Samson with his strength, no Abraham with his faith, no Peter with his charisma. There's nobody worthy to open the scroll doesn't mean that they weren't strong enough. It means they weren't worthy of. Because the question really asks, who has the virtual, virtuous worthiness of character, the divine right that qualifies him to break these seals? And the only answer to that is Jesus. But it says, sadly, the cry echoed out and there was silence. You ever wanted so, something so bad you could almost get to it, but you can't quite get to it? Now imagine that thing is the hope of your eternity. Why did John weep? John gave his whole life to this thing. John was an old man. John had been boiled alive. And didn't die. He was on the island of Patmos because he believed so genuinely and so sincerely that Jesus Christ would be his redemption that he gave his whole life up for it. And in that moment, as the angel cries out, there's crickets. It says that he wept. It's the wept word there is the same word that's is used to describe the weeping of Jesus over Jerusalem and the weeping of Peter after he had uh, abandoned and betrayed Jesus. That bitter, sorrowful weeping. It's the weeping that we should, from time to time, stand in in repentance and, and just, be glor just be so willing to submit ourselves to a holy and righteous God who has done everything to ensure that we have the right to be in His presence. 
I feel like and this isn't really the point, but that we don't weep enough. Amen. I, I touched it. But it says, is there anyone worthy? Uncounted thousands of angels. Uncounted thousands of righteous dead from all the ages. Uncounted. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book and look into it. The search of the entire universe found no one worthy. Pastor Jim, you're, you're repeating yourself, you're repeating yourself, you're repeating yourself. Because I want you to understand that you're not worthy. That no one's worthy. That there never has been anyone worthy. There never will be anyone worthy. There is not currently anyone worthy except for Jesus. And so he weeps. And he weeps bitterly. He wanted to see the world free of sin free of death, free of the curse. He wanted to see the physical kingdom of God established on earth. And the universe sits silent until the Lamb shows Himself worthy. And I love this. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Walk off the stage. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Stop weeping. And then he gives two messianic titles for Jesus. The lion that is from the tribe of Judah and the root of David has done something. What has he done? He has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. The line of the tribe of Judah. I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 49 verses 8 through 10. Judah. This is Jacob summoning his sons. And talking to each one of them, he said, Judah, your sons shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter, and then he starts talking about who, who, who will come from the lion of Judah. Or what will happen with the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh come. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and the donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine. And so he's saying Jesus is this lion of Judah. Jesus is the one, the, the lion's whelp. The one from prey, my son, you have gone up. The one who crouches, lies down as a lion. Who dares to rouse him up? You want to know why the Jews didn't accept Jesus for who he was? Because they were expecting to see warrior lion, lion Jesus. And they didn't get that. But we're going to see that. We're going to see warrior Jesus. He went as a lamb to slaughter. But he is the lion of Judah. So many times the Jews have determined to address him based on their conception of who he would be. Because they didn't have a, 
an openness to the entire counsel of the Word of God. They didn't understand that Jesus wasn't going to be this victorious, riding on a colt, coming to dominate and protect them and watch over them and, and cause them to be taken out of government rule. We need to realize the same thing. Jesus didn't come to free you from an oppressive government. Jesus came to free you from an oppressive enemy. And that enemy is spiritual. But we need to understand that He comes as He sees fit. He is the line of Judah. Let's not be the Jews. So many of us want to be Jews. And I don't mean Jews physically. What I mean is Jews in that we take Jesus and we form Him into what we think He should look like. And if He doesn't look like what we think He should look like, we decide that He's not who He should be. And we start making idols out of something that should look like Jesus to us. Well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. Your Jesus, if the Bible says that Jesus did that, Jesus did that. I don't care what your opinion says. My Jesus wouldn't send people to hell. If the Bible says these shall not inherit the kingdom of God, then guess what? They're going to hell. These people will inherit the kingdom of God according to the Beatitudes. Guess what? They will not be going to hell. You know why? Because Jesus is Jesus. It doesn't matter who you think Jesus should be or what you think Jesus should be. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He prances back and forth. He crouches. He does as he determines to do. He's the scepter, the scepter that will not be removed for all of eternity. He is the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But not only is he the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is the root of David, that is, the descendant of David. Isaiah 11, 1 and 10, and I'm going to skip back and then come back through, says this, Then a shoot shall spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Verse 10, Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, then, let me read this to you. I had it marked and it, my mark came out. I promise I've read my Bible before. I just can't, can't find Isaiah right now. <laughs> Here it is. All right. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his root will bear fruit. Verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord. Those are the seven perfect spirits, the Spirit of God, just so you know. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. It's talking about Jesus. It means he's not going to judge you based on what he sees you do. He's going to base you on who you are. He's not going to judge you based on what his eyes see. He's going to base on you. He's going to judge you based on what's in your heart nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt around his loins and faithfulness the belt around his waist. Verse 6. How do I know this is yet to come? And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. None of these things are happening right now, just so you know. This is when perfect peace happens. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. That's not happening right now. 
The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not destroy, hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. Then, verse 10, in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. They say in Revelation chapter 5, stop weeping. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. The Messiah, to simplify it all, has overcome to accomplish that which no one else in the universe or anything else in the universe can accomplish. What has he overcome? He overcame the cross to defeat sin. Romans 8.3 For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He overcame death. Hebrews 2.14 Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He overcame the forces of hell, according to Colossians 2.15. When he had disarmed the rulers in authority, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him, capital H, Jesus. And because he overcame, we can overcome as we found in him, as we believe in him. This is what 1 John says, 5, 4, and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Take heart. The Messiah, whatever title he's given, overcame to be able to break the seals and open the scroll. But as he overcame sin, death, the forces of hell. So too, because you are in Him, not because you carry authority unto yourself, but because you are in Him. Everybody say, in Him. Everything that we have is a byproduct of what Christ has given us in His sacrifice. Because in Him, we are overcomers too. By faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now imagine, if you can, all John seeing all of this. The throne, God's glory emanated from it. The, the rainbow, the crystal sea, the lightning, the peals of thunder, the four living creature, the 24 elders. And in it all, his eyes drawn to the center. Between the throne and the elders, Instead of a majestic king, instead of a victorious warrior or a roaring lion, let me tell you, there's time for that. But what does he see? 
he saw a lamb. Not just a lamb, though. A lamb standing as if slain. As if. It's not as standing as slain. It doesn't say standing as slain. It says standing as if slain. Jesus hasn't been slain. He is the sacrificial lamb. But unlike the Old Testament sacrificial lamb that couldn't do anything but point to Jesus and cause sin to be pushed forward, Jesus was the eternal sacrifice, the one sacrifice, the single lamb that was as slain but living forever eternally. And because he accomplished those things, because he did those things, and because he overcame, we too are overcomers in him. Girl, my life's hard. You're not slain. You may be as if slain, but you're not slain. Your life may be very, very difficult, but you're not slain. As long as you've still got breath in your body, you're not slain. And I tell you, if you belong to Jesus Christ, even if there's not breath in your body, you're not slain. Because the Word of God says that that death has no sting for the believer, that death has no victory for the believer. And that's not your doing. That's not my doing. That's the working of the Lamb that is standing as if slain, but not slain. I think we put our comfort in too many convenient things, our confidence in too many convenient things. Let us hold our confidence and our comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ overcame that as the Messiah, the one plan for the redemption of the earth came, that he is capable of grabbing the scroll, that he's capable of breaking the seals so that the redemptive plan of God may be completed. And he did it because he loves you and he wants to. That's a big deal when you think he could have, he could have just killed us and started over. But he didn't. He determined in his love for us, in his sovereignty over us, that he would, he would redeem us. And not even at our own expense, but his. I hear people say regularly, grace is free. Except it's not. It costs Jesus more than you can imagine. It costs God His Son. And it should cost you your own life. I want to hear, man, one of the things I love about a lot of people in this church, but specifically Justin and I talked the other day. One of the things I love about having a conversation with Justin is he, he's got one purpose in his life. That he and through his, that he be able to and through his leadership his family be able to at one point in their future hear well done good and faithful servant and that's only possible as we recognize that we are overcomers by faith in the fact that he overcame the lamb as if slain but not slain amen and in all of that the silence the beauty of heaven Jesus stepping forward
we're going to find in verses 8 through 14 the incredible outbursts of spontaneous praise. And I can't wait to cover that. Amen.